Good morning. Glad to see everyone uh, here and uh, awake and quite lively. I appreciate the Christmas songs as well. I know our brother Gary likes to stretch that out as far as possible. I'm right there with him. I do enjoy them as well. I also enjoyed uh, the, the message we had last week. It really warmed my heart. For those of you who weren't here, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I'll read it to you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this i really appreciate the message last week our brother was sharing this the, the, these verses and they go quickly from the first coming front to us a child is born front to us a son is given and quickly shoots to the second coming of christ and it just goes right from one to the other. This one, this babe who was born to die that we just celebrated his birth, he will come again to reign. He will reign on the earth. And everything that is wrong now will be made right. Everything that is imperfect will be perfect. And as you guys just said, I think there will be a, a huge heavenly amen when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I'll tell you, I, I was listening to the message and I was excited. I thought, amen. Now would be a good time. How about today? And we also learned that the subjects of his kingdom have to become subjects now. You can't wait until he comes back. That'll be too late. Anyone who doesn't know him then, that's when he comes back to judge them. So if you were here last week and you heard that, and you're here again this week and you still don't know him, I beg you, please be reconciled to God. Come to Christ. Make Jesus your king. If you're not sure how, ask me later or any of the other believers here. And really, the rest of this message is for those subjects of the king. So if you don't know the Lord, you won't be able to apply it a lot, a lot of the rest of this message. I'll be more than happy to talk to you later. So if you have made Jesus your king, I'm going to let you eavesdrop on a conversation. The Lord was speaking to me earlier this month, and with everything that's happened this month, it's just emphasized it over and over again. So as I share these things with you, I'm just sharing with you what the Lord's been speaking to me about. If it sounds like I'm saying you, it's because the Lord was already talking to me. And I'm by hope and prayer that it ministers to you as well. After last week's message, and you think about it, Jesus is coming, and he's going to make everything right. Why are we here as his followers? Why can't we just go be with him now? As we've seen others go before us. Why are we here? 
Jesus is going to reign and his reign is the only fair and right one. Why are we left here? I believe the answer is in verses like Revelation 21. Let's go ahead and turn there, please. The book of Revelation. Most of us are familiar with that to the very end of the Bible. Just short of your dictionary and concordance if you have one. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, and then the last chapters, beginning at verse 1. Now I, saw, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely, to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. I tell you, as you read that this morning, if you know the Lord, doesn't your heart just yearn from within you for that day? Just being with him, and it's all right, and it's all straight, and it's all the way it should be. And the king of kings is in his rightful place. I like the way the, uh, Brother Rick put it last time, it'd be better that Michelangelo was a mechanic and Picasso was a plumber than Jesus, the King of Kings, not reigning. He will and he will be. And that's what we're looking forward to here. But did you catch what it takes to be there with Jesus? It's in verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Other versions say, shall inherit all these things. And this is what we want to look at this morning. Are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? What does that mean? It means simply to win. It's the winner. It's the victorious one. When there's a fight and there's a battle, it's the one who comes out on top. So this means there are battles to be waged. Fights to be fought. God is expecting winners. He says, he who overcomes. Now, just to make things very clear, we are not talking about a battle for the penalty of sin, which is hell. You and I could never do that. Only Jesus is the overcomer there. Only Jesus could die for your sins and pay that price in full. There's nothing you or I or anyone else can do. We're all sinners. He is the sinless one. The holy one. And he did die for you. He overcame sin and death. Praise the Lord. 
But what this verse is saying is that you can tell who a child of God is. He's going to inherit all these things. And that his father is God. How do you know this? Because he's an overcomer. He's a winner. He's the one who comes out on top. But again, that means there's a battle, isn't there? If you entered into the Christian life and no one told you it was a bunch of series of fights and battles, <laughs> you were cheated. Someone should tell you. It's not an easy life. And nor should it be. Constant strife and constant battle. And really goes on in other, in other ways as well. Our bodies are going through a constant battle for health. Some of you know, many of you know that Joshua has a, a urinary tract problem. And he gets infections as a young boy, which is unusual because of his, his plumbing, as I like to say, is not right. That's what they're going to fix. Even Abby, she has a fever as of last night, 101 degrees. So she's got a bug. Well, where are these bugs? Well, they're all over us. And your body's constantly fighting that battle. You're not aware of it a lot of the times. Unless you're out in the rain too long or out in the cold. And, or even as we get older, it's just a little harder to fight that battle, isn't it? You get sick easier. takes longer to recover. Why? There's this battle. Ever since the fall, there's a battle with our bodies. There's a battle at work. You try as hard as you can to do the best job that you can and something always goes wrong, right? I mean, it's so consistent. We even have a nickname that we give this. Something can go wrong, something will go wrong. What's that called? That's right. I sit there at work and I just shake my head and I say, Murphy, alive and well. You know, it is. It's a constant battle. God gave us work before the fall. Work is not cursed. Work is not part of the curse. Frustrating work is part of the curse. The Lord says you're going to work that ground, but now it's going to give you thorns and thistles. And no matter what job you have, you know what I'm talking about, thorns and thistles. You did everything you can think of and still it fell apart. It's a constant battle. But even so, isn't it neat? When finally you whoop Murphy that one day. Aren't you glad when you did everything you could and you sit back and you're exhausted? But ah, you did it and it's done. You see? You liked it when you, you, you won that battle that day. You fought hard. We appreciate that about hard work. We, we should appreciate our health more. But see, the same is true in spiritual things. When a believer comes to christ god puts his holy spirit inside each person the living god resides inside each person but god in his infinite wisdom left our old nature and you're thinking well why would god do that what's well, in his infinite wisdom he knew exactly what he was doing and you have two opposing forces that battle in every believer now it's your choice what are you going to do you have your flesh working against you. And it says that old man, he doesn't get better with time. He grows more and more corrupt. His desires, his lusts, his propensity to drag you away from God, he just gets better at it. And the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And there's a constant battle going on there. 
You have the flesh. You have this world. You go outside these walls and there's not a whole lot going out there. I want to talk to you about God, is there? And who's pulling the strings of the world? Well, it's the ruler of this world, the devil. He wants to get you, your eyes off God as soon as possible and onto anything else. So it's a great battle every day. And if you're not actively choosing the Lord to follow the Lord, you're losing the battle. Why well, do you even know there was a battle, Charlie? Well, careful. If you're a believer, that means the enemy is creeping up on you. His, one of his best tactics? Subtlety. So that you think that he's not even there. Okay, well, give me an example, Charlie. What does it mean to, to be a... To, to, to see these battles and come out a winner? How can I come out a winner for God? Was it like the world's view? Well, the world's view, I think, is a, is a lot like this game here. Does anyone recognize this game? Christina got that, and she was, she was jumping for joy for Christmas. She came out of her shoes. But it's the game of life, right? I'm going to take this thing off, because it always falls off anyway. Is this what it means to be a, a winner for God? You start over here, and you... You get paid. One of the first things you do is you get paid. Isn't that, isn't that good? Or you go to college and go into debt. What's one or the other? <laughs> I always go towards the payday one myself. So you got paydays, and you have to stop, and you have to get married. You see? And then you come along here, and you have to buy a starter home. And you go along, and, and you have to think about going back to school, and and then you maybe a career change, and... You got a sailboat in here somewhere, and there's a spin-to-win option. I don't remember that in the old game. I think it's like Lotto or something. There's lawsuits. You get to sue people. So here at the end, here you go. So you got your, you got your car. You got your nice little... Well, it's like a station wagon. That's part of the old game. But anyway, you've got the wife. You've got the daughter I just lost. You got the... The husband and the son, right? And here you go tooling along, and finally you make it over here to a place called Millionaire Estates. There you go. You're a millionaire. Right? Is that it? Is that a winner from God's perspective? Well, it is from the world, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. Isn't that right? Is that what God says? Let's read what God says about that. Turn to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the things, in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man 
yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So did, so did this rich man win the game of life? Maybe from the world's view, but not from God's view. What did God say? What did God call him? A fool. Then we have an expression that the good old style. It's this. What does that mean, Luke? It means loser. He lost, didn't he? He lost. He was a fool because the focus of his life was on the things he could possess and not on God. Coming to know him and being an overcomer for God in this world. Let's look at some positive examples. That's what it's not. What is some positive examples as a of an overcomer for God, a winner from Jesus' perspective. It, just as a brief definition, is one who sees each situation, each trial, each temptation as being ordained by God. Your everyday life and the things you're going through, God has allowed each one. It's t- taking that verse that all things work together for good and taking that the throne of God and living daily with that and then when you have that you choose to follow the Lord in those situations contrary to all other evidence of your flesh which is crying out to get out from underneath it and the world and the one who's pulling the strings of the world the devil contrary to all that you follow the Lord that's an overcomer here's some examples of overcomers Think of Job. I, I don't know how many times I've mentioned Job from the, from the pulpit, but he's one of my favorite examples. Read the first couple chapters of Job, and there you have the secret. There you have the veil pulled back. And you see what's going on in the spiritual realm. God said, this is my servant Job. Take a look at him. He's my man. And Satan says, ah. You protect him. You give him all this stuff. Let me take away everything. And he'll curse you to your face. God allows Satan to take it all away. You see? It's the evil one who hates the believers. But it's God who's in control. God who's in control. Job stays faithful to God. Satan comes back. God says, look, you made me touch him, and yet he remains faithful. Satan says, ah, this for that. Let me touch his body. Let me really hurt him. And I'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. See, God's still in control. See, this happened. If this did happen, I I bet it's still happening. In people's lives today. God is still in control, though the enemy, he hates God. 
He cannot understand how can anyone love God because he hates God, you see. And God is saying, these are my jewel. These are my precious ones. They love me, not because of what I give them, but they love me for me, you see. Job's lost everything, and now he has boils. He's sitting in the ash heap, scraping his wounds with a pot shirt. What does he say? Naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. Lord gives, Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says in all these things, Job did not sin with his mouth. You see, that's an overcomer. That's someone who's had everything taken away. But not everything. He has the most important thing, a relationship with the Lord. Abraham, where he lived, how he lived, the size of his family, a hundred years. He's all right, I think he was, what, 89 when he started traveling. God says, go over here and you start walking, I'll show you when you get there. Who does that? I've got a GPS in my pocket with me all the time. I know where I'm at. You know? God says, well, you know, just keep going. I'll, I'll let you know. He goes. Your flesh would say you're crazy. Your neighbors would say you're nuts. Your family would probably try to have you committed. God says you are, you're a winner. You're an overcomer. He waits 100 years for a boy. God says, okay, I want you to take him up to that hill and sacrifice him to me. Now there, you, you, you're, you're verging on illegal, right? You're verging on, what do you mean, God? You see, but God, you can trust God. How do you know when something's right? Because God says so. Not because you or the law or anything else. God says what's right and it's right. God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Just go off to your son. Abraham was such an overcomer, such a winner. He said this in his heart. This is hard. But God will raise him from the dead. Because all the promises of God are through Isaac. And I know he'll raise him from the dead. See, that's a winner. That's so when he takes God at his word till the ultimate. Look at Moses. Could have been a prince of Egypt. The royal family of the, one of the greatest countries in the world. We still look at Egypt. We still talk about Egypt. What did Moses do? He says, nope. I'd rather be with God and his people. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater riches than all that Egypt had to offer. You see? All that screaming at you. Look at everything that you can have. No, he was looking forward to the reward. You see? He started off his... He didn't want the job. Remember that? The Lord spoke to him. And he basically said, Nah, Lord, you don't want me. It's okay. I don't want it. Go find someone else. I can't talk. He was going to let, his, let the people of God suffer in Egypt. By the time God was done working with him, and by the time God had done changing his heart and winning that battle of the flesh in his heart and, and getting the victory in Moses' life, Israel had messed up. And God said, Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to strike them all down. Moses says, no, what will the, the nation say? That's okay, I'll make a great nation out of you, Moses. You know? Moses says, blot out my name. Blot out my name before you take out this people. That's an overcomer. You see? He had God's glory in view. 
Of course, God was going through all that to test him and to show that 180 to God, that victory that God was getting in his life. Who's the ultimate overcomer? That's right. That's right, Dave. Lord Jesus. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He is, he is the one. He left unimaginable splendor. I mean, we can't even begin to, to, to you know, the revelation it starts to say, well, this kind of looks a little bit like this to try to explain to us how beautiful heaven is. We don't even know what a sinless environment's like, let alone he was worshipped by all the angels. He leaves that. He leaves heaven's best. Of course, he is heaven's best himself. But the best place in heaven, where does he come? To be born a babe in a barn. Sorry, Lord, we don't have any room for you, but here's a barn over here, and there's by the animals. Maybe you can dust off the trough. You want to talk about humbling himself. The things that the Lord overcame. One of his closest friends betrays him. The, another one, professing the greatest love for him, disappoints him when he needs him most. Satan offered him everything. It was Satan's to give. But Jesus only wanted to fight the Father's battles for the Father's glory. So where does that leave us? If you, if you kind of follow what's going on there, that's a lot of a Hebrews 11, isn't it? You can go through there. Hebrews 11, call it the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame. What it is, it's, it's a list of winners, of overcomers, of those who took God at his word in spite of everything else they could see or feel. And they followed the Lord instead. What's God doing for us? Why are we still here? We have battles to fight. You and I have battles to, to wage, fights uh, that we need to be engaged in. Just as another way of illustrating this. Why? Why did the Lord give us these battles? I, I have, um, I've got the yard work at my, my house. I do the yard work. I, I usually don't mind doing the yard work. Actually, oftentimes I like doing it. You know, but it's a constant battle. There's always leaves falling. There's always twigs somewhere in the weeds are non-stop you know having a bigger house isn't necessarily a blessing we move from one house to a slightly bigger house and you just get more yard and more weeds more issues to deal with and i could do all the work myself but if i did all the work myself how would my kids ever learn now when they're small say they're like anna she's only three years old they you know, they pick up leaves and sticks, you know, for as long as a three-year-old's attention span is worth. It isn't that long. But as they get older, you know, I show them a small little patch of little weed sprouts, you know, over in some soft dirt. You know, and they pull those up one by one. After about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, they come over here with their, their prize, their weed killings, you know. And, and they say usually something like, look, Daddy, I did it. You know, 
Timothy. Yeah, you did. Good job. As they get older, they can handle the, the pricklier weeds, the, the bigger issues, the more important issues, as it were. They can understand the difference between that pretty dandelion weed and mommy's flowering plants that just haven't bloomed yet. You know? After that, after they get a little bit older, we can, I can trust them with that. Again, I could, I could do all this myself. But how would they ever learn? How would they ever learn to fight those little battles with the weeds? How would they ever learn the satisfaction of a job well done? And working with daddy. What'd you do today, honey? Well, I worked with daddy out in the yard. We pulled weeds. I think that's similar to what the Lord has left for us. He's left us in situations. He's left us here. He could do all these things. I, I much prefer, I think the angels would do a lot better job of preaching the gospel sometimes than I ever would. But he didn't give it to angels, did he? He gave it to us. He's left those battles for us to fight and to win for his glory. I like the way I appreciate uh, brother mentioning uh, recently is I want to win some of those crowns. I don't win some of those battles to get those crowns that God promises. Why? So when I'm up, when I'm up there before him, I'm just going to say, here you go, Lord, and throw them all at his feet. That's what they're there for. Isn't that an incredible relationship? Sinners destined for hell, empowered to serve God, then be rewarded only to be with him forever and throw it all at his feet. What a blessed future. What a blessed life we have. Hebrews 12 says it like this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all those overcomers in chapter 11, all the winners by faith, those who went on before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here it is. Here it's called a race. Did you know you were in a race? You're in a race. How's the race going? We're at the end of another year. Did 2008 go like a blink of an eye to you like it did to me? But, well, look, I'm already ahead, 2007. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I'm catching up. But, yeah, but 2007 did, didn't it? It was gone. True, you might not have to sacrifice your son as Abraham did, but you might have to see how you're responding to a wayward child. Maybe, maybe you have a son or a daughter who is away from God. And how are you going to respond? This is the battle that God has for you. How's the fight going? Are you winning? Are you following the Lord in it, trusting Him? Only one and not worrying. I had a dear saint come up to me and tell me about that. And they said that they could always tell because that, that pit... In the middle of their stomach is gone. 
when they're not worrying. You see? Sometimes we can know how we're doing in the battle. Even our body tells us. True, you might not have to deny Egypt, but you got a whole world out there to deny. I tell you, it's a battle not to succumb to the mind-numbing priorities of, these, of this world. It's at work. It's in the media. It's in the theater. It's everywhere. Peace and satisfaction for every earthly lust, desire, and besetting sin you have. Let's just keep God at the door. Let's not talk about the Lord. Let's not live for him. Don't bring his name up, especially not Jesus. How's your fight going? Are you fighting that battle? Are you living for today's world's values or are you living for eternity in an everyday way? It's true, you and I will never go up a, cross, go up a hill with a cross on our back. Only Jesus could and did do that. But he calls us to take up our own crosses and follow him. It might mean a hostile home environment. It might mean a hostile work environment that he's allowed. It might be disappointment at work. It might be disappointment here in the assembly. It might be bearing with an unsaved spouse. It might be not having a spouse at all. Could be a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one. Could be cancer with a short time to live. It could be living with declining health in your latter years. And this might be the worst one of all. Feeling disappointed or betrayed by a close friend or maybe even a fellow believer. Are you fighting those battles, dear believer? Are you saying in the midst of those situations, and they are hard, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Are you trusting the Lord through it all? Besides those pits in the stomach, the way you can tell, I think, is you can tell on the look of your face. The Lord, I think the Lord has allowed that, and I think it's a good thing. Sometimes we walk through that door and we're just, we're dragging. And it just shows right here, you know. And that's the good thing about the family of God. You say, hey, how's it going? Okay, now how's it really going? Because they gave you the standard answer and you know you're not buying it. And I appreciate those of you who follow up on me as well and encourage me. Some of you might have objections. But these are real battles, aren't they? You might say, well, you know, maybe you super Christians can, can handle that, but Charlie, you don't know me. I can't win these battles, Charlie. Praise the Lord. We're not talking about a mind over matter idea or a willpower thing. It's not for a stellar few Christians. We're talking about the promises of God. Now, dear saints, listen closely to the promises of God in these things. Then you have to ask yourself, do you believe God or not? In these struggles and these battles, is God greater than these things or not? In my besetting sins, in my habits, and the things I don't want anyone to see that only God knows, is God greater than these or not? Because after you listen to these verses, you have to say, no, God, you're lying. You're not greater. 
You have to take him at his word or call him a liar. Thankfully, we have these promises and they are true. One of the first ones I thought of, and I appreciate this, the battles are always the right size. There's a Joanna-sized battle. There's a Luke-sized battle. And there's a Fred-sized battle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as, as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There's an expression in my house, I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know? And we all know what that feels like. You know? I, I think of swimming or not swimming, drowning, right? Here goes the water, and, you, and you've left your fingers three, two, one, you're about three or four feet underneath the top of the water. You're overwhelmed. What can you take from the promise that God has here? You might feel overwhelmed, but you can't be. Because God said he won't give you more than you're able. Hang your hat on that. No, no, no. Hang your whole life on that promise. And struggle in the battle. And bring that promise to the forefront. God has not given you more than what you are able. He knows just the size of the battle and where you're at and what you can do and what you can handle. He also tells us where to go for help. Another precious promise. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is the battle pretty hard right now? Come to Jesus. Are you not sure what you need to do and you need wisdom and guidance? Come to Jesus. Come to him. Are you overwhelmed and thinking that it's too much and you can't take it anymore? Go to him. And let him put those nail-pierced hands around you to remind you he suffered the equivalent of hell for you to die for your sins. And that if you've trusted him with that, you can trust him with this current situation. It might still feel like it's too much, that you're overwhelmed. But because of his promises, you can say to your feelings, I know I feel that way, but I know it's not true. Because Jesus said so. Then you'll be winning the battle for Jesus. This is the key. By faith. 1 John 5, 4 says this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Did you notice that? The first part of the verse says, This is the victory that overcomes the world. Excuse me, it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Each, new, each believer can overcome in those battles. Based on what? That's right, because of the Lord Jesus. And this is the victory that has overcome, that has overcome the world, our faith. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've already won the, 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 the first battle, being delivered from sin, agreeing with God about your sin. He saved you. He died for you. That was the smartest thing you can do was agree with him.
One of the best things I, I like about knowing the Lord is when it's all said and done, Jesus wins. Isn't that good? You can see all the evil in the world. I know some of these brothers are on the streets as police officers, and you see a bunch of stuff. When it's all said and done, you know what? Jesus is going to win. And everything that's wrong is going to be right. And what amazes me is he invites us to, to battle with him. It might just be picking up leaves and sticks. It might be pulling up little sprouts of weeds. But he invites us to battle with him. He's already won the war. It's our privilege that by his grace, he says, here, I've got you right here. I want you to fight that battle for me. I want you to draw near to me. Say no to yourself, the world, and the devil. And be with me. And when it's all said and done, we'll talk about it for a long time. Forget about last year's battles. Forget about the last decade's battles. Identify what the battles are going to be going forward in this next year. What are those battles the Lord wants you to win through him? And who knows, this might be our last year to fight those battles. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Lord, we think of those who have gone, gone before us. Think of the Allensworths. We think of Karen Alonzo. Lord, I think of Avery Wilson. And Lord, our dear brother Bill. We thank you for their examples of being overcomers for you. We think of the disappointment, the pain, all the things they went through. But you in them and they in you winning those battles for you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for their examples. Thank you for the examples in your word, Lord Jesus. Most of all, we thank you for you. You who has overcome the world. And now he who is greater, he's greater than us than he that is in the world. And that's you. And so, Lord, we're, we come before you and we say, Help us, Lord. It's so gracious of you knowing our failings, knowing how many battles we haven't won, how many battles we have failed at. We thank you, Lord, that you dust us off, stand us up, and say, let's go. There's more battles to be fought. Help us to do that, Lord. That we might like we might, like Paul, fill up in our flesh that which is lacking in the, in the afflictions of Christ. If there's suffering for your name's sake, not for sin, but for service for you. Lord, we pray that you would show us, help us not to draw back, but help us to be overcomers for you. Today, in this new year, till you come, Lord, to take us home. Though, Lord, we confess, even so, come quickly. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.